I think it's a double-edged sword. I think it. we've already seen that it, to an extent, has been weaponized um, by agents from, most notably from Russia in the 2016 election. Um, but I think that it's also playing an unknowing role um, in creating echo chambers and identifying the, how people can be pushed into these echo chambers to increase deployment. It's kind of like the the whole trope of you make it the smartest artificial intelligence in the world and you tell it to solve the complete value of pi, right? Pi is a irrational, never, never ends. And so it decides that the best way to do that is to destroy humanity and take over the universe to pro to you take all of the power of the universe to process pi, which it never will. So it destroys everything. Mm-hmm. It's a similar thing of like, okay, let's increase engagement on social platforms. Well, it does that by kind of, putting people into these echo chambers and Mm -hmm. and doing these negative things. So I think it's a double-edged sword, like I mentioned. Ever heard of a podcast where one of the hosts has no idea what's going on? Well, now you have. Welcome to Unprompted, the show where one of the hosts shows up completely unaware of the conversation topic for the episode. From technology to society to history, life, and more, each episode features a unique topic and the hosts unravel the details together using nothing but their background knowledge and past experiences. Hosted by Luke Bogus and Jared Arts. We hope you enjoy today's unprompted conversation. Okay, we're recording. Um, let's think. I guess we, we can just get started. But, well, Luke, good evening. Good evening. It's much more evening where you're at than where I'm at. But uh, regardless, it's still dark. It's... I do not like that about Seattle. It, uh... Went for a walk today at like 3.45, and it was like getting dusk, and I just wanted to cry. Like, I'm just not not used to it, man. Not used to the, the darkness all the time. Is it that dark back in Nebraska that early? Uh, I think the sun sets at around 6 here. But six? I guess 6, yeah. Oh, my. It was pitch black by 4.45. Wow. I guess you're, you're starting to see why they do the internships in the summer. Yeah. And, I mean, everyone calls it like the Seattle freeze, I guess, because... Not because it gets cold, but because everyone just gets so depressed because it's so dark all the time and like nobody has vitamin D. So everyone's just like chippy at each other. Um, I'm definitely plotting. I need to buy some vitamin D pills because uh, <laughs> I've, I've legit like not even exaggerating, probably not seen the sun since maybe Saturday. It's Wednesday right now. Um, but it's also maybe, living alone problems. So <laughs> maybe you just need, you just need to come back to, That's to, true. The, to the tropical tropical nebraska <laughs> the oasis that is nebraska yeah that's that's the missing piece and we can do go back into in-person pods as much as i love the remote pod you know there's something magical about you know just being looking into your eyes a foot away <laughs> and just feeling the spark of uh you know of pod <laughs> the spark of pod that could be like our merch someday that would be like oh, the that t-shirt. could be good the spark of good. pod well, hey, if we uh, if we had as many purchases as we did on our feedback form submissions, we would be we'd be millionaires. We'd be we'd be wow. millionaires. Did you check the feedback forms? Uh, did you check that our website's down? <laughs> <laughs> we can get into Wait, that no, later. Are you sure about that? Uh, I think our service that we use uh, is kind of jank. Um. Okay. So. <laughs> <laughs> As you can tell, listeners, we list, we really, really look forward to all the submissions we get. And, and it's I, an anomaly when we don't go days without getting them. I think that just for the just for the fun, the laughs, uh, we should check the, the feedback forms. 
I don't know how long the website has been down, but uh, do you have access to that? <laughs> the fee- no, I, I get emails for every feedback form that we get. I've received <laughs> zero emails. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I would know if there's feedback because I get rece- an email. Have you been receiving brand emails? I have. Long- no, oh, oh, the, like from the website? From like our, our weekly analytics. Oh, yeah. 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 Long story short, everyone, Luke and I started a business called Brim yes. that was yeah. very successful for a very short amount of time. Uh, we were featured in local news before I, I wasn't featured in local news. The business was. But, <laughs> um, and, you know, we've, we process a lot of orders at local coffee shops in the Lincoln area. Right now, just one coffee shop. But we're still pulling in like 100 to $200 a week. That's right. Well, not us. We're, I mean, on... I wish it was us, a couple hundred bucks a week, but no, we are, out of the, out of the goodness of our hearts, we're offering it for free to yeah. uh, the coffee shop that uh, needs it most. Yeah, so if you know anyone who owns a local coffee shop and wants a probably never to be updated application and service. But it works great. It works relatively reliably, yeah. Re- relatively great, maybe I should add. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you just ignore all the uh, order failed uh, <laughs> yeah. emails. <laughs> but, uh I guess like we have a podcast to record. It's been a few, oh yeah, it's we been are. three, we are three, three weeks, three weeks. Uh huh. So that's not that's getting down to our promised two, one to two week. So yeah, we went from three months. We went from like two months to two weeks. So I figure that's you know slowly but surely, slowly but surely, we're building you, the right we, systems. We plod in the right the right direction. I'd say so. But I'd say so. I think it's it's my week for a po- for a topic, and. You know, like always, I prepared diligently. Um, mm. Like I mentioned to Luke right before we started recording, for possibly even minutes, I prepared multiple minutes. Yeah. Um, and I so I I just want to like talk about something briefly, and then I'm just going to see where it takes us. And That's I, the beauty of the pod. I feel like there's been a a, de- a decent lack of history on the podcast recently. Okay. Okay. Um, and you know maybe that's because there just hasn't been much podcast. But <laughs> so I, I want to talk at least, you know, relatively related to history. And, and so I'll start with this. I'll start with a question. A do you know question? Do you know what? No. <laughs> <laughs> so have you heard of trial by ordeal? No. Okay. Trial by ordeal. It was a really common practice in like medieval Europe. Okay. Let's say that you were accused of um, murdering your cousin. As In the does. modern day world, you know, we'd get together a jury, we'd present the evidence, and the jury would vote on your, you know, on your innocence. In, in medieval Europe, it was common to do trial by ordeal where instead they would take you to the local blacksmith, have the blacksmith heat up a piece of metal, and then they would make you grab the red hot piece of metal with your hand giving you extreme burn if the burn healed then it was believed that you were innocent because god healed you if the burn you know got infected and got worse you were clearly um you know guilty because clearly. because you know that's how things work and the the reason i bring this up is because i wanted to talk today a little bit about historic like different historical perspectives that people have had in the past 
And that's like, that's like the general topic. It's just like how differently people thought in the past. So I wanted to talk, you know, about that, about um, superstition mm. and how different superstition is in the past versus today. And so after hearing what trial by ordeal is, Luke, Lucas, why don't you, uh, why don't you give your thoughts uh, on that system of justice? <laughs> well, on the system of justice, I, uh, obviously I think it's hundred percent true. Um, I think our current system's flawed. I think we need to go back to the obvious that is trial by ordeal. No, I never actually heard of that. Um, but <clears throat> it's interesting how like, cause I'm sure the people that experienced that during that time really didn't bat an eye. I mean, a few people did cause it obviously changed, but like, I'm just so excited to see when we're 80 and like hearing our kids and our grandkids be like, Oh my God, like you guys thought that in 2020 or like people really did that in the pandemic. Like hearing stuff like that, I think will be very interesting. Cause it's always just like in the, in the moment it feels totally right. And it feels like everything in the past was just crazy and wrong and Oh my gosh. But, um, I, I guess I'm, I can't even really pinpoint what things I'm predicting that will be that way. But I think that that's like, Specifically trial by ordeal. That's crazy. But in general, it's also crazy that like, I'm sure, I mean, I don't know. There's a reason it happened in the first place. There's a reason it happened for so long. Um, but there's also a reason it changed. I guess one saying on the topic of justice and you, you mentioned like 80 years in the future, what will kids, our grandkids think like was crazy that we did. What do you think about handing justice over to like artificial intelligence like it's it's i don't think anyone would disagree that having jurors like as we have now like a jury is like inherently flawed in some ways in the sense of like every person has their own opinions they can be easily swayed emotionally away from fact like facts so like what's your opinion on replacing jurors with artificial intelligence that might have a much lower error rate in terms of like condemning Mm. innocent people. Um, But also kind of in a way returns to the trial by ordeal in the sense that it's a black box of, you don't know why you were charged, you know, why your hand didn't heal Mm -hmm. and why you got infected. Mm -hmm. Well, two things. One, I think it's interesting that we see a very similar, I mean, obviously this isn't as crazy as justice, but it still deals with lives like self-driving cars today. I mean like Tesla, right? Like they obviously have crashes. We tend to hear about all those crashes because we as humans, even though it's like one thousandth or whatever it is, it's some crazy percentage, like less crashes that contribute because of autonomous driving today with Tesla's stuff than it is like, like the percentages just basically prove that it's exponentially less likely that you'll be in a crash if you have autonomous driving on or their full self-driving beta or whatever it is, then us just driving as humans. But I think it's because like, since we don't have control over the situation, we somehow figure that it's worse. Like it, like it could happen 10 times, like 10 people could die this year, let's say because of autonomous driving. We'd probably hear about all 10 of them in the news. Like, I feel like I hear about Tesla crashes all the time, but genuinely I probably hear about all the Tesla crashes that happen all the time. But it's like, you don't hear about all the crashes that happen on the roads. You don't hear about all that stuff. Obviously thousands of deaths per year, which is sad, but it's like, 
there's like this like weird concept that because we don't have any like human control over it we think it's like just like inherently flawed now i'm not saying that the you know ai jury system <laughs> that you were <laughs> discussing is like good or bad i i guess it's just interesting like when it comes down to like those big decisions with huge air quotes i'm doing it's like I don't know. You can have the most perfectly optimized system that goes 99.99999%, but still that point oh 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 one percent is what people are going to talk about. Um, and it's like, I think that's really what holds us back from like, just like mass adoption of like that kind of stuff. Um, but again, for the record, it's a good thought exercise because like with that mentality, it's like, whoa, then I guess like, okay, well then we need autonomous driving because the percentages tell us it's less. Like people still die, which is sad, but it's less. So it's better for everyone. So it might be the same mentality with something like, you know, a jury system that uses that. But like, <laughs> I, but like my instant thought is like, no, of course not. That's, that's terrible. That's awful. But like, it's interesting to think like, well, why? Yeah. Or like something like uh, choosing who you're going to date and marry might be better left up to an artificial intelligence who knows all of your quirks and understands what you like better than yourself. Mm. And so if they could say, if an artificial intelligence could say with 90% certainty, I believe that you will be happier with this other person who you're not dating, you should break up and date them instead. Um, perhaps in some ways that is, that presents some positive facts, but it takes a lot of the humanity out of the decision. Mm -hmm. And something I think that's interesting that I didn't expect to necessarily talk about that, that you brought up is... Um, you, you talk about how we're like, there's no human control in a lot of these artificial intelligence systems. In a lot of ways that, that from a historical perspective reminds me of most of history, humans did not have control, right? If there was a, um, if there was a plague, there was not much you could do. Like there was attempts to do quarantine and stuff. They couldn't make a vaccine. They couldn't make medical treatment. If there mm -hmm. was a, you know, natural disaster, that was just the work of God or work of the gods, a famine, similar thing. There wasn't like the belief throughout most of human history that humans could really make a difference. There was these other forces that were at play. In the last, like, 300 years, with the rise of humanism and liberalism, uh, rising out of, like, the, um, out of first, like, some Renaissance thinkers and, you know, then thinkers like, you know, Kant and Jefferson and whatnot, people, like, now, right now and throughout this whole modern period, like, believe, like, humans can do everything. Like, we can solve all the problems. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's, like, fed into so many you know, aspects of modern culture, like our, our, how we approach COVID-19 versus how we would have, how we approach the black plague versus, mm -hmm. you know, how we approach, um, how we approach like warfare now is completely different, but in some ways we're almost circling back around to the way it was before, because like you mentioned, we're like, in so many ways, we're starting to give back control to a black box or to a non-human entity, I guess we can say in the form of artificial intelligence. And it's interesting that as we do that, you, 
I feel like you start to see there's a, a lack of understanding of how things work and there starts to be much less of much less of trust in like the system inherently because you can't like you can't understand how it works does that make any sense yeah i don't really have any remarks to it but you're right it's like there's less trust in the system but i think the the interesting caveat is like we train the system we build the system like the inputs to like learning about ai like we train that and like it's obvious when it comes to things like self-driving cars it's like oh well then you just like take in all the data and all those situations and you learn and get better but it's like with those kind of things where it's for example your hypothetical of putting all these inputs in and it tells you probability of happiness with this other person that has all these other characteristics it's like the like you know fundamentally we weigh those heuristics somehow fundamentally we we build that this is more important than the other and so yeah, it's almost just like it is a black box, but I guess like we we build the black box. And I guess I'm I'm curious like when it runs away from us, but it's like unless my fundamental understanding is wrong, it's like we uh we have to build it to start and we have to like provide weight and we have to like provide like yeah, provide weight to like certain like categories, heuristic variables, whatever. And so it's like in that case, it's like somebody had to decide it. And the crazy thing is that that somebody is just like this random person in a big tech company or, you know, this like random person that just is like some entrepreneur deciding like this algorithm. Maybe it's, you know, maybe it starts playing. It's like, ah, sure, like I'll I'll give 30 percent, you know, weight to this thing. And like that becomes like the main the main thing. You know what I mean? So I think it's just like I'll be, I be I don't know. I, I'll be curious to see if the things that really take off like. I picture all these things that are AI of just like these like thousands of like just brilliant minds coming together to like form this one thing. And you see that on things like, you know, GPT-3 and a lot of the other like big trendy AI things, but also just like, you know, there's a lot of software products out there like nowadays that are like built by one or two people. And like, sure, those are just apps, but like surely it's going to, when we get to the point to where it is like, you know, there's a lot of other things in the world. Like there's going to be a lot of things that are going to be driving our world, driving our decisions, driving whatever. That's just going to be built by a handful of people. I mean, you can make that argument with like, you know, Zuckerberg and free speech and stuff like that. Right. But that's a little different because there's hundreds of thousands of people that work at Facebook. But, you know, I don't know. It's going to get to a point to where, you know, maybe some of the world's most important systems and algorithms like maybe isn't built by a company of 100,000 people. And even in those companies, of 100,000 people being in a company of 100,000 people, be surprised how like, you know, I mean, there's a lot of people and like a lot of cooks in the kitchen, a lot of bureaucracy. But at the end of the day, like, you know, it's still people that make the decision. Um it just depends how far that decision gets. See, I don't, I don't know if I agree with that. Okay. In the sense of like, I think in a lot of cases, the best artificial intelligence algorithms don't typically have people setting heuristics. Mm. If you remember, if you go back to Keck class, Keck 3 okay. or Keck 2, <laughs> we learned about, remember, back propagation, perhaps. Unfortunately. <laughs> so where we take we obviously want some sort of a desired output right mm -hmm. and i would you would assume that in most cases that desired output would be happiness perhaps uh in like a human case we're getting to a point where we can have more and more data on what that means in terms of wearable health trackers and you know eventually brain scanners whatnot whatnot and so if that's our goal state 
is some sort of form of happiness. We can then backpropagate the weights for our heuristics automatically. Basically, letting AI train AI to best fit a particular algorithm to each individual person. And so I think that in some ways, you mentioned like, we're building this black box, but at the end of the day, we're building it. I think we built one black box and now we're trying to build more black boxes inside of it. Mm. And it's true that we, in some ways, can tweak them. Like, you know, we're still building software. But the best algorithms are the ones that are allowed to learn by themselves. Because we as humans obviously don't have, like, the true... We we, we can't understand it all, like you mentioned. Like, one person can't. But the data can speak for itself in a lot of cases. And so I feel like we're, like... You know, I don't know where the path of this conversation is going, but like we're, we're like trending towards a place where algorithms are becoming more specified towards smaller groups of people and they're being built quasi autonomous, like autonomously by, you know, by other algorithms, essentially. And it's very different for some things like that's like a marketing thing. All marketing is like that, but like self-driving cars are still being built by people, you know, at, at least at the moment, because we haven't built that kind of initial black box. I don't know if you have any response to that. Cause I just disagreed with you, but no, I mean, what are some examples of algorithms being built by algorithms? Like, is this like a, it means a theory or is there like a couple like examples that you see that we could dive into? I mean, I, I guess when I mentioned that, I just, I'm talking about how algorithms, like we use back propagation to like build that heuristic chain, mm-hmm. that neural net. And so like, it's not like we're saying, okay, we're going to try this, this weight, this weight, this weight. We, we set those weights and then we let those algorithms run and build themselves via the other algorithms like back propagation or genetic algorithms that build this final product that is extremely complicated. Like, and I know like in uh, GPT three, there's like many millions of nodes that like, why is this node set to with a weight of 0.03 with its hidden node? Like we, it's hard. It's almost impossible to know. Like a lot of the point of these big algorithms is to let, like let them train themselves. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what I'm talking about with the black box inside a black box. Um, I guess like maybe GitHub Copilot is having some people helping code other algorithms <laughs> in itself. But I, I guess I, I was a little misspoken there. No, no. I mean, that's interesting. And, and you're right. It's like, I think the the crazy thing to like wrap our heads around, or at least the crazy thing for me to wrap my head around is like, yeah, I mean, a lot of the big use cases, mainstream use cases where again, mainstream is pretty big air quotes is like copy AI, GPT three, like a lot of things that are like, you know, like it, it, it's, it's amazing. Like, like fundamentally, logically, like if you're an academic and like you appreciate it, like it's, it's, it's incredible, but like, you know, at the end of the day, like copy AI, like app, like, I don't know if you've ever seen copy AI before. I think it uses GPT three to do it. Basically like you insert, like it basically just creates copy for you. So it creates like words for you and it can create, you know, social media posts. It can create uh, website content. It can write essays for you and you just give it a prompt and it just goes, mm-hmm. um, and I mean, and it's like pretty coherent stuff. Like it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. And there's like little things like, you know, like in Outlook and Word and stuff today, you know, like you're typing along and it adds like the extra mm-hmm. stuff for in Gmail or whatever. Like, I feel like that's like, I think that's the interesting thing is like, 
to get that, like it's, it's incredible. And the technology is incredible to get there, but like, that's where we're at today. It's like that, that's like the most mainstream, like model or like, like, I don't know, mainstream systems that we have today. And so it's like, it's going to be really interesting because obviously things are starting to, you know, get up there, obviously like autonomous driving, but, and there's like, you know, you can probably provide other examples. Those are like the big things on top of my head, but it's like, you know, a lot of it's just theory right now. A lot of it's just really experimentation and piloting and MVPs like Boston Dynamics, you know, and like they're like crazy, like dogs and robots and stuff. But it's, I think it's going to hit once, uh, once that start becomes mainstream. I think once we have, you know, once it goes beyond, oh, I can just write some like words for you, which is again, incredible. And like the, the, the academia behind it's incredible, but like, um, it's going to be interesting once it starts to get more consumer mainstream and less, I don't know, just uh, making words for you. <laughs> so do you think that now, now like we're on a complete AI train, but like, do you think that AI, how much bigger do you think AI will get? Like, do you think that AI is truly like the next huge revolution or do you think that it's near its end in terms of like making change? Hmm. definitely not an expert here. And these are just like my very unthought thoughts. I mean, that's the purpose of the podcast, but I guess like one like area that I can really see it taking off is just like in the area of like contextual AI almost just like being able to predict and understand context to the situation, like adding more clarity to that situation. So like, again, like the predictive text that I was just talking about, like that's like a very, very small example. But, um, you know, I've been kind of like getting in on like the, uh, the like mixed reality and augmented reality train, trying to learn more about that. And like, you know, what if there's a future where you're wearing these glasses and you turn on the TV and you're watching um, a basketball game and around the TV because of your glasses, you know, you're getting stats about the player who just scored and you're getting, you know, maybe stats about the early information about the next game that's happening. Like, you know, those types of things to recognize like what's going on, add additional context to it. Um, you know, even like small things like, uh, you know, like even like our Google homes that we have, it's like some of the context is able to derive out of the things that we say. And the continued conversation mode is super interesting. Um, some of the stuff that they're doing with, I don't know what they call it, but like where like you ask it to schedule like a, uh, appointment for you at the hair salon and like, like a voice will call on your behalf we'll okay. call the hair salon and like can like conduct the conversation and taking context and in, like intonation of speech and like it, it's like that kind of stuff like to me i guess that's that's the hard part of the answer is like what i'm basically saying is like what i know and like what i've heard and like what i've seen it being applied to so i don't know i mean that's the beauty of it but to me it's just like it's almost just like the the situations where like we use ai to add context to situations and like i don't know add more I think it's very fascinating. I'm not sure if that's like the end goal. I'm not sure if that's like the most revolutionary application of it, but like, that's like the one to me that's like most, most apparent, I guess, because it's already happening. But I don't know. What about you? I think that AI's most impact isn't its ability to like advertise products and ideas. And what I mean by that is we're, we're best, AI is extremely good at categorizing people. Um, and we've seen that already, like, um, in things like the Brexit vote, uh, where 
both the Brexit vote and the 2016 and 2020 election in the United States, where um, artificial intelligence has, has been able to very accurately identify people who are susceptible to certain messages and provide a very, um, what's the word, effective messaging around the context of that person to push them in one direction or the other. And I think that that is where AI's biggest effects is going to happen on society. In its ability to categorize and advertise to people ideas that they might not have normally been, you know, taken up. But because artificial intelligence is able to identify exactly how to push the right buttons, we're able to, you know, groups are able to push those ideas upon people very much more easily than they ever could in the past. I think this has huge implications for things like, well, just like democracy in general, um, because how can we say that the people are choosing the next, you know, the next president in the United States case or, you know, a referendum, uh, perhaps in Brexit's case, when artificial intelligence is able to sway people in directions. And in some ways, I think like you could argue perhaps weakly that it's taking away their free will because it knows exactly how to push them over the edge or Mm. with a relatively certain relative certainty, push them over the edge. And so I think that, I think that a lot of the, you mentioned like the contextual parts of artificial intelligence, like providing context. I think that that's, that, that is largely like a positive part of artificial intelligence. Um, I think that the future of artificial intelligence, especially if it goes unregulated, is going to be, uh, and I guess I should say it probably will go unregulated, uh, is going to be around like affecting the institutions of society um, by essentially further polarization of people um, by the methods I kind of just described. You think intentionally? Like, do you think it's going to be weapon, like weaponized you're talking about? Like people are using it like maliciously because of that or because of the tools and systems and platforms we build slowly but surely we see that as an outcome? Mm-hmm. I think it's a double-edged sword. I think it. we've already seen that it to an extent has been weaponized um, by agents from most notably from Russia in the 2016 election. Um, but I think that it's also playing an unknowing role um, in creating echo chambers and identifying the, how people can be pushed into these echo chambers to increase deployment. It's kind of like the, the whole trope of you making the smartest artificial intelligence in the world and you tell it to solve the complete value of pi, right? Pi is a rational, never, never ends. And so it decides that the best way to do that is to destroy humanity and take over the universe to pro- to you take all of the power of the universe to process pi, which it never will. So it destroys everything. Mm-hmm. It's a similar thing of like, okay, let's increase engagement on social platforms. Well, it does that by kind of putting people into these echo chambers and, mm-hmm. and doing these negative things. So I think it's a double-edged sword, like I mentioned. It's already been weaponized in some ways. I think that it will continue to be weaponized probably more effectively in a lot of ways more subtly, more so importantly, 
um, because the blatant weaponization has already been kind of cracked down upon in the past four or five years. More subtle weaponization will continue to happen. Um, and we're starting to see that, you know, kind of in the last year, year or so, we've seen some of that uh, with things like um, the like save the children hashtags that aren't directly to link to something, but they reference other movements. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're, I just feel like, I feel like the most dangerous thing is it purposefully being weaponized by smart people. <laughs> uh, but the unintended bias it introduces is also uh, dangerous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think like another interesting thought is like data collection almost like, I mean, obviously all of this is fueled by data and the inputs that we give it. And like, when I think about things like AR, VR, the metaverse, dare I say, like we're starting to move into mediums where systems and platforms don't have to rely on, you know, like some edge device to have us give them that input. Like it's, we're getting to a point to where like, it's not going to be reliant on me logging into my phone and going to Google so that Google can track me and Google can use that feed or me going into Facebook so I can train that algorithm and give me the content I want. We're getting to a point to where it like, like it, it doesn't, I don't have to be in front of a screen to give these, these companies and these, you know, these platforms, my data, it's going to be, I'm going to wear these AR glasses or these VR glasses. Cause it gives me a lot of benefit to, you know, see the world and do this and that. But it's like, you know, there's obviously probably a future of understanding eye movement and what draws people's attention. And like, you know, and especially in a place like the metaverse or, you know, where like everything is digital. I mean, everything can be tracked, right? Your movements and your, like, think about your world where everything is digital. I mean, that's obviously the definition of it, but it's like, we're getting to a point like, and you mentioned earlier, like, um, you know, fitness tracking and stuff. It's like, we're starting to see that with the Apple watch. Like there's some amazing things that it does, but it's like, now we're, we're, it's, it's a medium towards getting, gathering data on your physical everyday interactions. And like the next point to, you know, is obviously like, great. Like I can understand like your wrists and your movements and where, and your whereabouts, like, cause of, you know, whatever it is, but that's going to be okay. We have this thing on your eyes. What are you looking at? What draws your attention? What do you feed towards? And then, and then you got insane things like Neuralink and it's like, all right, like, let's go past what you're thinking or like looking at, let's look at what you're thinking about and like what draws your attention, what peaks like you. So I think what's, what's really interesting is gonna, that's going to feel a lot of this is, yeah. I mean like the TikTok algorithm, absolutely insane. You know, it's, it's, I mean, it's, renowned about how you know exact is able to figure you out and how quick it's be able to do it and whatever whatever but like that's because of the input that we give that system we give that system our attention and by liking something commenting something watching something a fraction of a second too long whatever it is that trains it but imagine the way you look at something outside or you know like your intonation of your voice like you know there's just so many mediums about how to collect data to use that 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 to me is going to be the interesting part because at what point is that actually going to be leveraged? I mean, ideally it's never right. Ideally we, we build with privacy from the ground up, but <laughs> I mean, I don't know when you have a company like Meta controlling that, who knows? Yeah. I think that it, it's also, it's such a challenging thing to think about because I mean, you talk about like all that data, that's all like, like we're getting to a point where we can collect it all, but it's also so much data. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like we haven't, we're, we're collecting so much data. And it seems as though we haven't yet quite figured out what's the important data 
you know, right now, like we are like Google, for example, their, their neural nets are just gigantic, um, that they use to, to do, um, advertising and whatnot. And I wonder if there's a way that we can, (laughs) dare I say, use artificial intelligence to find out what data we actually need. Because like you mentioned, things like Neuralink collecting all of your, like, thinking what you're thinking and stuff and like that's that can be like super helpful but what if you don't like what if you can cut that out what if you can just see what they're looking at and what it does to their heart rate and get 95 percent of the way there and like intelligently collect data because i think it's like that's another like problem of artificial intelligence is the amount of data and then hence like storage it takes like how much like how many data centers do you really need to like do this Mm -hmm. um you know, not that that's like that important to like the end goal. I, I just think it's an interesting thing to think about, like from a back end, how are things working? Um, like, what complications are there going to be, like building these new age AI algorithms about exactly what you feel about everything you look at and smell and hear at every moment? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's I. I don't even really have a comment to that because you're right. It's like I guess my first thought right when you said that was like, well. I don't know. I, like, like it's interesting. Like, of course, like intelligent. Like, what do you need? I, I guess the story around like oh storage, like that makes sense. But um, yeah, it's like how do you walk the fine line of like is it is it noble to just only collect X, Y, and Z? But um, no, it's because you know it, it doesn't. It's nothing about nobility. It's all about like this is actually what I need to derive basically the same insights at a fraction of the cost. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. There's no nobility in business. No. <laughs> No. There's never no ability in business. But yeah, I guess like, like I, I think about like one question about like all of this art- artificial intelligence is like, what do you think it does to the concept of like free will? Like, do you think that, for example, if Netflix is choosing what you're going to watch, HelloFresh is choosing what meals you're going to eat, um, and Google's choosing what news stories you see, Apple Music is choosing what music you're going to listen to or Spotify. And it's true that you can always override those decisions. But how often do you take the effort to do so? Do you think yeah, that... And the, and the accuracy of the decisions already makes it yeah. easier. Like, why even, like, second-guess it? Even if it's yeah. not 100% ideal. If it's 90% ideal, it's good enough. So I didn't have to think about it. But go on. Do you think that that... Do you think that people, humans, living in that scenario that I laid out, actually have free will i think your point earlier about those who can control what people consume are able to kind of control the decisions they make like i mean i my worldview is told and my bias is totally built by the content i consume like there's like no question about it and you're right it's like in the olden, and again, it kind of goes back to, you're right, that's crazy. But in the olden days, olden days, maybe like 50 years ago, 100 years ago, when we had newspapers and stuff, there was a filter. The, fil- the, the, the most powerful people in the world that controlled the decisions were the people who decided to say, okay, that's cut from the, new- from the newspaper or that editorial, we're not going to launch it, right? And so it's like, and, and again, in that case, like there was filters. It just happened to be people. But now that the people... It's kind of the situation in the filters tech. It goes back into 
because we have this like thing that is a black box that we don't think we can control, even though it's a higher percentage of accuracy. And, and, and I mean, and a boost, I mean, you could argue it boosts our satisfaction because we're like being given what we want to read. Right. Obviously there's like other implications, but at the end of the day, because it's 99.999% effective, um, a, should it be 99.99% effective? Um, and B, because of like the zero one percent, it's like that's what gets people up in arms. So, I mean, you're right. I think it does affect free will. But at the same time, I think we were seeing ways of filtering in the past. It just like wasn't data driven. It was driven by the you know big execs of these big companies or um, you know what people are allowed or not allowed to publish in the newspapers and the daily bulletins and then the whatever. Um, mm-hmm. I guess that I, I can't get, disagree that there were always filters. I think that the the scope of the filters has increased dramatically in a lot of ways. And in some ways you can argue like it just doesn't matter. Like there were, you know, you weren't necessarily consciously choosing what show you were going to watch on at seven o'clock in 1950 on television or what you were going to read in the paper necessarily. But it, it feels different. Maybe it's just the fact that like, it's not a person making the decision. Like you mentioned, like it's a black box in some ways. Um, and I think that it's just, it's just like, do you feel like more aspects? Like right now there's limited things that are, you know, ma- the AI makes decisions for us. Like we mentioned, like movies and whatnot. Do you think it's going to increase? Like, do you ever envision like artificial intelligence realistically telling you who you should date? Like, do you feel like that's a thing that could happen? I guess in some ways Tinder already does that, but. fair i mean that's the other crazy thing right it's like that's actually a fair example a little different from what you said but like how i mentioned earlier i mean you you have products that are distinctly marketed as like i said gpt3 and copy ai and all these like really basic level like it is marketed as an ai tool that does blank it's like there's so much ai happening already today like our google homes like literally tinder like literally your tiktok algorithm like that's all training like that is like that is ai it's just like not Mm -hmm. It's sexy in its own right, but it's not as obvious to people. People don't think about it. You know, like the 80 or the 50 year old that uses Facebook doesn't think about the fact that it's one of the most powerful algorithms in the world. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that that's kind of interesting as far as your comment of why do I ever think it's going to get there? I think it, you're it's an interesting comment we made earlier about I think AI is going to get to a point towards making a lot more decisions in our lives. And whether or not it debilitates our ability for free will. I think it's going to get good enough to where we're just not going to second guess it. Cause for what reason, like there's already so many, so much analysis paralysis during our day. So many like decisions that we make that we don't want to make like hell for me. I mean, and this will be interesting to talk about. I'm curious as your perspective for me, if I had something that was choosing what I wore today, was choosing what I was having for lunch and dinner was choosing what I, and it was able to take in all the inputs, like happiness about feeling good about myself, whatever it is like, I'd take that any day of the week. I'd take something that, that decides that. And I would take something that decides all that stuff. Um, I don't know. I, so I don't know. I think, I think it'll, I think it'll help the decision-making problem. And I think we'll get to a point where we won't second guess it. Do you agree with that? I'd just like to ask you a question. You said you'd love something that, that would do that. Would you love it if the government did that? What do you mean? Would you love it if the government told you what to wear every morning? And what to eat for lunch and what to do. No, but I guess that's the assumption of, again, I'd love for something to choose, some system to choose what I eat, what I drink, what I wear, whatever, because that's off the assumption that it trains off of what 
I like and what I want and what, which then I guess you could then back up even further and say, well, what do I like? What do I want? Mm -hmm. Well, that's, those opinions are built because of the content that I'm being given and because of, (laughs) so it's like, it's recursive, right? But it's like, I think the answer is obviously no, but I think just drilling down is because like, there's assumption that I, like I got to build the things that it recommended to me in the first place. It's not like some, some like all being, it's like, you know what? You look better in green. I'm like, no, I don't like, I like black, like, you know, whatever it is. Um, I guess, let me, let me build you a scenario here. Let's just, the algorithm as we'll call it. Friendly, the friendly (laughs) algorithm realizes that, well, you know, first off it realizes you love eating beans. Okay. And so it starts feeding you beans every other night for dinner. Okay. (laughs) But it notices that maybe there's going to be a shortage of beans in, in a year and it doesn't want to affect your happiness. Is that, well, that will definitely, that will bring you down. (laughs) Okay. The algorithm, the friendly algorithm, starts to show you specific posts on your TikTok algorithm, on your TikTok feed, on your Facebook feed, etc. That slowly start to push you towards garbanzo beans as a healthy and environmentally friendly alternative to normal beans. Or I guess I'll say chickpeas, not to confuse, just beans. And over a couple months you start to mentally like the idea of garbanzo chickpeas more than beans. And the algorithm starts giving you some chickpeas for dinner. And soon enough, you feel like you like chickpeas more than garbanzo beans because of a million unconscious cues that were slowly pushed upon you. Similarly, during that time, there was going to be a shortage of black thread. But green dye was, you know, was going to be plentiful so plenty of fashion whatever things were shown to you that the algorithm knew would perfectly push you slowly but surely towards seeing yourself as someone who looks really good in green or would like to look good in green and soon enough you're wearing green i think that the the question is not because you mentioned it's recursive if you're comfortable with the algorithm choosing what you trained it to do and choosing for you, are you comfortable with the algorithm training you to, to choose what it wants you to choose? First off, great analogy, great example. I will say, I think it goes back to my point of that decision was thrusted on me by this black box AI thing. I mean, that happens today. Mm-hmm. Awareness, like marketing, brand awareness marketing, has happened for years, whether it be through newspapers, television, targeted television, you know, banner ads on websites, targeted ads on websites. Like, because I mean, I, I totally prescribe to the thing of small exposures leads into you believing in yourself that you like this thing. Mm-hmm. It's just like, it's interesting because like the medium all of a sudden becomes the system that decides it for you, which theoretically I guess is happening today. You could argue like, you know, Facebook decides that you really should be marketed this thing. And so it builds this profile for you based off of assuming that you like these things. Um, and then it gets to a point to where honestly, a lot of things that I'm marketing on Instagram are usually kind of interesting. Like a lot of, like a lot of times I got nothing I really buy, but there's really not a whole lot of things. I'm like, ah, that's, they got that totally wrong. Um, 
which is kind of scary to think about. <laughs> um, and that's just because that's just ads, but you're right. It's like once it gets to a point to where it's decisions, um, I don't know. That's a good question. How do yes. you think about it? Cause you, you I mean, I, the, these questions and your explanations that I'm hearing is that you're appalled by that future. <laughs> I don't know if I can say I'm appalled. Um, but I think I could definitely say like, I'm worried because there is definitely like this, this like question of whether in some ways this is like the greatest tool for like a 1984 style like government where you don't have to, or I guess a, a better way to say it would be, I don't, have you ever read Bra- a brave new world? I, I know the concept, never read the book, but I know, I know the brave new world yeah. to any listener. I'd recommend reading. It's pretty short, but it's a, it's kind of like a, you read it and there's like, it's like a, in a lot of ways, like a dystopian novel, but you don't really notice anything in some ways you almost think like, oh, there's nothing really wrong with that. Like there's, there's no free will, but everyone's happy. Like that's the whole point. Like everyone's fulfilled in some ways. Um, but I, the way I think about it is like, I'm somewhat worried it can evolve into that. Where like controlling interests are able to say, okay, um, it'd be cheaper for us. It's, it's, it's like a super monopoly. It'd be cheaper for us if we were just selling everyone chickpeas instead of beans. So let's, push everyone to hit to like chickpeas and by adjusting algorithms and preferences. And I think the difference is you mentioned where we've always been advertised to. That's true. Like we've always had our decisions affected, but not until the last few years has it been possible to do it individually for each person based on what they like. So like for you, maybe it would be showing a really cool can of garbanzo beans and like, but to me, maybe it's showing like how chickpeas are grown in Turkey and, and like, we can identify exactly what the person wants um, wants to see in order to like push them in that direction. And so that's kind of like what I fear about it is some the large controlling interest, whether that be meta slash Facebook for anyone who hasn't gotten that news, they changed their name <laughs> uh, or you know Google or a government like this is like China's government's dream. Um, any large controlling interest, using this not just to provide better contextual decisions, but also to like change what you want, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the day that we lose is the days that we don't second guess the decisions we're given from these mm-hmm. systems. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, like, like, I think it's just like the, 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 the trust, I guess, because I guess, you know, another example I was trying to think of is, would it be great if I had a system that told me every single day you're going to feel best if you go to bed at this exact time and if you wake up at this exact time? Like if I had someone to tell me that, like boom, like I like I had a hundred percent lean in. Mm-hmm. Um, now, granted, that situation is just like what time do I wake up and go to bed in the morning? But like, you know, once it gets to bigger decisions in life and we don't second guess it, I mean, like we're kind of getting there a little bit. But at least with like when it comes to just content, like these systems feeding us content, at least we kind of still have our abilities and I guess are at a mental state where we do step back and critically think and have our own assumptions at the end of the day. Granted, those assumptions are feeded in by, you know, the content that we're, that we're fed. But I think the, I think the interesting day that maybe we, we start to lose is the days where we don't second guess the outputs of the system. Um, Mm -hmm. I think like, yeah, I don't know. Do you think you agree with that sentiment? I think that's true. I think like you mentioned, like in some ways we're already 
not doing that? Like, how often do you question the output of like what Netflix recommends you or what YouTube recommends you? In my case, yeah, yeah, like, exactly. Spotify, like Discover yeah. Weekly, like you, all these. You listen like, to Discover Weekly. You don't like think why is this in Discover Weekly? Well, sometimes they make bad recommendations, but in my case, that's because my sister listens on the same account. I wouldn't recommend <laughs> anyone do that because it really messes up your your algorithm. But yeah, I think like in a lot of small decisions, like you mentioned, small decisions, we don't second guess. And so as those decisions slowly get larger, will we start to second guess or will we just slide right into it? Yeah. And I, I just like, I guess like partially some part of me worries about like, you know, becoming like Soviet Union, like, like comrade, you'll be happiest if you go to sleep at, at 930 <laughs> and wake up at seven. Like, mm-hmm. but you know, you, you just, it's impossible to know until you know, but I think it's definitely important to like you mentioned, second guess decisions that are coming out of it, especially large ones. Um, but who knows? Who knows? My friend, Jared, this was uh, this was a riveting conversation as always. I think we're, we're almost hitting our artificial time limit of 40 minutes artificially. <laughs> I think uh, we have, we have surpassed it. <laughs> <laughs> well time flies when uh, we're chatting about AI, I guess. Yeah. But it's very, very do- different feels good to get back in the groove of things i guess now with you know more a more recurring podcast to get the brain flowing get the thoughts flowing um I, I found by just like living living alone out here i don't really do a lot of these thought exercises so uh, it's always good to have to, to know that my brain's gonna be teased when i talk to mr jared <laughs> well i mean you know as luke and everyone else knows this this will you know as our history shows will probably happen again next week <laughs> <laughs> that's I mean, right definitely be weekly brain teases i I don't see what other option there is but i think we we do still have a regularly scheduled segment um i'm not going to ask about the british monarchy well Um, i don't know i mean at this point you might you you might want (laughs) to learn no more (laughs) that's that is true i will say we 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 talked about uh we talked about russia a few times um the most i know about russia is like you know, who was it? Stalin was Stalin Russia. Stalin was Russian. Yeah. Yeah. What's uh, what's something that like? What's an interesting Russia tidbit before Stalin? Like I, I know everything. I feel like I, I know like the basics of the Stalin era and USSR and all that stuff. But like, t- tell me something that's like uh, maybe maybe way before that. What's something like? Okay. Um, so we'll go back to uh, Peter the Great. Okay, so I guess, are you familiar with, um, like, Russia's government before the Soviet Union? I'm familiar with Joseph Stalin (laughs) and everything after. So the the Russia before the Soviet Union, which Stalin was uh, one of the leaders of the Soviet Union, was Mm -hmm. a absolute monarchy. Uh, So they had what was a czar. I don't know if you've heard that term, a czar. Okay, yep. Uh, And that means Caesar uh, in in Russian. So Rome is, or Russia takes the claim as being the third Rome, like the third Roman empire. Hmm. They, they, they see themselves as the inheritors of the original Roman empire, um, which is interesting. Uh, so their Kings were called czars, which means Caesar and Rome's emperors were called Caesars. Um, anyway, uh, czar, uh, Peter the great, uh, he was a, um, czar in the, 16th century so like the 1500s roughly he built um russia didn't really have any like ports where they could have like a navy and so he decided he was going to build one 
he built St. Petersburg, which is a um, city up in northern Russia, like right next to Finland, like way up north. And he built this city, which is, he basically like said, okay, what are all the best parts of Europe? Because he loved Europe. He loved all the European countries. And he just like copy pasted. So there's like French buildings here and um, German architecture there and like a Italian church. So it's like all these like amalgamation of the most impressive like European styles all put into like one city, like essentially in the Arctic Circle. Like, and uh, it's just like a really interesting like part of like Russian history. Like he kind of modernized Russia, St. Peter or St. Peter, uh, (laughs) Tsar Peter the Great modernized uh like russia turned it into like the european state instead of being what it was before which is in many ways kind of like viking (laughs) before before that uh and yeah it's i actually have one of my co-workers is from st petersburg wow that's that's partially where i where i uh, met uh learned that fact but um yeah it's a really interesting city the every winter like the whole bay like where the ships would come in and out completely freezes over um Wow. Because of how far north it is. So it's like only usable as a port like half the year. But um, yeah, I guess like that's an interesting fact of the, the czars and uh, Peter the Great. Um, interesting wow. guy. Recommend Always impressed. Him. Somehow he figures it out <laughs> off the dome. Well, it's uh, Russia's an, an interesting place. We'll have to do a whole podcast on, on Russia. On, uh, on, and we can drink vodka while doing it. That would be elite. That would be elite. And I could provide zero information and zero input into the Well, I think you'd have you'd have more information the more the more shots of vodka you got down. <laughs> That's true. Will there be helpful information to our billions of listeners? I'm sure. But it'd be helpful uh, to us, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, I think uh, I think that kind of wraps up uh, the podcast, a little bit longer one, but uh, hopefully you'll see us in the next few weeks or so. Uh and I, I guess the website's down. We'll try to address that. So <laughs> if you, what's the website, Luke, if people want to try? Unpromptedpod.com. Please give it a shot. You, maybe that's something that you can, uh, you can look forward to every day. You can just like check if the website's up. And then I know that there's just so much, uh, so much feedback that is just inside the soul of all of our listeners that are just dying to fill out the form once the website's back. So trust me, you'll get the website back, listeners. You will. Well, I mean, maybe the website went down because so many people were requesting. Like our listeners <laughs> oh. essentially DDoSed us, is what happened. <laughs> yeah, it's tough. Well, when you're one of the top ten podcasts in the world, it's just what happens. So, uh, gotta get used to it, I guess. Don't actually check the top ten list. Just take our word for it. <laughs> take our word for it. <laughs> okay. Well, I guess. Uh, yeah, leave feedback. Leave feedback if you want. Uh, we look forward forward to talking again. So, can't wait. See you next time. Yeah.